future human visionaries. What tomorrow knows today. Produced in association with the V&A. Welcome to Visionaries, a podcast dedicated to futurological thinkers. We seek out people who are reimagining innovation in their field and ask them to apply their intelligence to emerging trends. Cher Potter is a senior editor at the fashion forecasting company WGSN. She analyzes sociopolitical and cultural trends and their potential impact on the fashion industry, in essence, predicting probable futures. She describes her work at the company and how trend forecasting is changing. So something that I wanted to show you was the kind of work that we do, which in many ways kind of takes a step behind the catwalk, which in itself is a kind of prediction for the fashion industry and predicts what the catwalk will predict for the fashion industry. And the way that we do this is to look at culture at large and to work on the premise that fashion is uh, inherently part of the network of cultural change and that what's happening within cultural change will be reflected within fashion. So these are reports that we produce each season. Um, We do a kind of six-month turnover of uh, three reports. Uh, Each of them have kind of four-month development phase, which in the world of trend forecasting is really, really long. Most people are presenting or uh, writing up about three to four reports a week. And I guess in some ways I have the privilege of writing two a year. So these are the trends that kind of cover big, bigger picture movements and that we think will kind of shape the landscape that fashion will work in in two years time. So the three trends that we did this season, which have just launched last week actually, were called uh, Focus, which was about a kind of rematerialization of post-internet arts. Uh, History 2.0, which was about a kind of flattening of history and looking at futurism in the context of uh, de-extinction, so a kind of um, past made into kind of Paleolithic futures. And then biodynamism, which was really looking at ideas of um, the human microbiome and also a new philosophy, which is called slime dynamics. But essentially, these trends um, try to take the very complex kind of mass of information that we're all confronted with and that uh, are a part of our present conversations on culture and work them into really uh, strong themes or stories. And then within these stories, we kind of provide a, uh, a way of accessing and using them. So so something that um, I think is particularly interesting is that where a lot of you possibly come from quite a critical design background, actually these trends are created by designers for designers. So not so much uh, with a kind of strict logic of uh, criticality, but with a quite loose and vague logic that allows for inspiration and possibility. I think there was a really interesting uh, comment recently or proposal recently by Simon Schaeffer, who's a science historian that probably most of you know. And he was talking about Newton's uh, Principia Mathematica and how uh, the conception of um, a kind of self-contained, sudden inspiration is no longer really relevant and that all things are part of like an expansive web and that um, Newton himself and his uh, Principia Mathematica was actually only one kind of manifestation of this web of um, influences. And this is exactly how we see fashion operating and what we try to promote. So something that's worth discussing, uh, first of all, possibly is our methodology. The future that we present is more viable if it is more largely networked. So if it's kind of uh, the larger the network is that has kind of um, contributed towards the trend, the more viable it is. And so we begin with a kind of uh, kind of mass gathering almost. Each trend season begins with a kind of mass gathering, which uh, has curators, uh, global WGSN uh, researchers, and invited guests. This then goes into a kind of series of um, image boards, so really hundreds and hundreds of image boards that speak about the kind of um, 
the kind of cultural conversations that are happening at the moment. Something that's really fascinating in the conversation that we were having, I think, is how these images are used and the kind of aesthetic logic that operates behind fashion trends. And essentially, I guess that we would consider images as facts and then use them to create fictions. And these fictions are simplified stories of what is happening in the cultural world today. And so each of these 18 uh, research and references that we outline for each trend, each season, is then expanded into a thousand word uh, essay. So there is a kind of background hyperlinked uh, theory operating behind each trend. But then there is a kind of parallel function of these trends as well, and I think this is possibly the most interesting, is that these images are selected quite specifically so that the combination of them inspires ideas for future clothing. So there are kind of uh, very carefully combined textures and concepts uh, that can be uh, used and translated quite easily in a highly visual industry, such as the fashion industry. I think something else that's really interesting to uh, mention is that because, as I said to you, this is uh, a kind of theoretical object produced by designers, there is a kind of very, uh, I don't know, a kind of materialistic way of dealing with images and words. And that's something that uh, forecasting does quite well and uh, also quite appallingly, is um, create uh, bizarre neologisms and uh, very strange kind of catchphrases to um, summarize movements that are happening in fashion at the moment. So some great examples that are maybe more successful are things like nanofacture, and uh, ones that we've ourselves come up with are things like JPEG genetics. But um, there is also a kind of very loose and free uh, way that words are used. So um, last uh, week, I in fact heard someone say, oh my God, that's so eau de toilette, which is of course mildly ridiculous, but I think there is a really relevant and important semantic value to descriptions that create moods or kind of option moods over facts or uh, promote unlikely associations over explicit definitions. And this is something that uh, the language of fashion forecasting tries to do. It's used almost as a material that's cut, pasted, manipulated, expanded, invented. Almost like a real-time, living, breathing kind of... Uh, a constellation plot that uh, outlines uh, trends and their links to scientific innovation and uh, music videos, celebrity culture, um, uh, new modes of manufacture. And what's really fascinating about this new model, what's being speculated um, for its development, is that it will exist as a kind of 3D breathing kind of animal made up of trends DNA in some ways, but that what it'll allow as well is for people to upload images of themselves. Those will be analyzed and then kind of inserted within the kind of constellation of trends. So, but I think that's something, something that is quite interesting is that as it expands across all existing design uh, fields, there is also, of course, um, the kind of recent development of um, the potential of designing animals or designing species. And this, of course, will all be trended as well because it will simply be absorbed into the world of design and trended. And I think there's something quite interesting about imagining trends of future animals. And um, so things like uh, casual for half cons, as in half consciousness uh, uh, kind of hybrids, is something that you could imagine. And there is something about the idea of um, camouflage for the paleophobic or um, Philip Stark uh, designing uh, clothing for a new um, virgin intergalactic travel and his proposal is that um, people will be naked because we're living in a world of um, post-materialism. I think there is something quite interesting about uh, launching trends called the Dermanauts that explore things like this. 
What's quite fascinating, I think, essentially about what this kind of language and what, fashion, uh, what, what forecasting does is that it kind of takes future speculation and then almost transplants it into the mundane, like the kind of language and visuals that you might see in a, in a magazine like Grazia. And so in some senses allows you to inhabit it and assume its normality. Ben Beaumont-Thomas of Future Human asked how WGSN discriminates between likely and unlikely future scenarios. It's an interesting question in terms of any forecasting company. One of the first questions that you do get asked, and it is one of the more relevant, is how self-fulfilling uh, are trends. And of course, when you're working for a company that is the biggest uh, trend forecasting company in the world and has 38,000 uh, clients, then the trends that you uh, produce are in many ways uh, also created. So there is that aspect to it, of course, but I think probably a more interesting aspect is that um, within the research that we do, we try to um, create really definite evolutions from season to season. So a client will have invested a lot of money and time and kind of um, design effort into a specific trend. And it's our job to evolve that trend so that it can be evolved through the seasons of fashion. And if it does connect to an existing trend that has done well for a company before, then that kind of ensures that the trend will do well again, if that makes sense. So I think a way of kind of um, making our futures viable is to connect them to to previous trends. Uh, one thing that's quite specific maybe to a trend forecasting uh, industry as well is not really so much about how viable are your futures or how uh, accurate are the futures that you predict. I think the question really is how useful are the futures that you predict? I mean, are, are they usable by designers and do they provide enough design inspiration? I think that's actually a more accurate way of describing uh, viability within the world of trend forecasting. The trends that uh, I make, which are the kind of uh, most uh, future forward, are kind of vague and there's immense amount of freedom to uh, speak about emerging science fiction movements in Zimbabwe and cosmology in Nigeria. But when it gets down to people who are actually talking about what will happen in the fashion industry in the next six months, then there is much more accuracy in terms of um, form, color, materials, themes, um, yeah, so uh, that's, that's how the industry is structured, is that there is an increasing level of accuracy the closer that you get to a seasonal outcome. But there is a kind of chaos and freedom to, to desire, even if it is uh, collected. But will middlemen services like WGSN become less important as individuals gain more and more access to information online? Trends don't need to be created by uh, established industries, that they can be... Um, managed by culturally aware people who can use them almost as a kind of activist tool against existing institutions. And that's, I think, an incredibly interesting avenue for trends. Uh, but on the other side, I think uh, more in a kind of, maybe more in the vein of a kind of curatorial discussion. Yes, I think there absolutely is space for trends to continue because I don't think that an entirely kind of um, multi-vocal authority that isn't curated has any relevance, really. I mean, I think you can listen to a million voices and they don't tell you a message, really. There does need to be some kind of message extracted from something and somebody's got to do that job. And 
I think that is a job of a trend forecaster. But something that is a major concern in the trend forecasting industry is that traditionally it has laid out very strict evolution of how things will progress. So at the moment, for example, we'll have, of course, spring, summer 13, and then we have autumn, winter 13, 14, and then we have spring, summer 14. And these are all kind of very neatly categorized by us as kind of temporal timekeepers of the fashion industry. And this is something that's a major threat to um, trends forecasting is that no one listens to that anymore. Uh, now, if you go to uh, Topshop, they're showing autumn, winter 13, 14, spring, summer 15, and spring, summer 13, all simultaneously, which basically has made all of our future research irrelevant. So I think there is something to be said about absolute instant absorption, and that when it's there, people can't not absorb it. The kind of age in which there is the kind of um, spontaneously inspired auteur um, may be less preferable than an emerging age in which all uh, ideas are simply one uh, manifestation of a network of similar ideas. And I think that that's not a challenge to uh, trend forecasting. I think that's what trend forecasting is, is the mapping mechanism of that. This recording took place at an event convened by the V&A with support from Z33, the Welcome Collection, and the Arts and Humanities Research Council. This podcast was produced by Future Human in Dalston, London. For more episodes of the Future Human podcast, visit iTunes or soundcloud.com.